The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are disciples, if you have loved one for another. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. You know, it's interesting the way we can hear a story any number of times and all of a sudden there's something new. And as Jennifer was talking about Israel coming to Elam, the place with 70 palm trees and 12 wells of water. It seems very fitting on this day when we hear Paul declare, I have sent on a mission to the Gentiles to remember the 70 are the nations, all the nations of the world, and the 12 are the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we hear in the very midst of the Exodus, they come to this place, of flourishing in the midst of the wilderness, a place where there's green and food and comfort and safety. And we have the 12 wells, the 12 tribes of Israel, and the 70 palm trees, the nations of the world. God's word is just cool that way. So we pick up our story today in the Acts of the Apostles, Luke's version of the pilgrimage of the Holy Spirit and the clash of kingdoms. We're still in Antioch of Pisidia in the region of Galatia. Paul has preached this sermon declaring the gospel of the resurrection, the good news of hope that is in Christ Jesus. And the next Sabbath, all the town comes out to hear. And we see the clash right there. The kingdoms of this world, the ways of the kingdoms of darkness, place in the hearts of the leaders of the synagogue, jealousy. Jealousy, that great tool of darkness. Jealousy happens when we hold tightly to the things in our hands, thinking that they're ours. The leaders of the synagogue like the power and the influence and the prestige that they have. They want to hold that closely in a very small vision of the kingdom. And here come Paul and Barnabas talking about a big kingdom where power and glory and honor aren't in the leaders of the synagogue, but in God by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's not this exclusivity of you're out and I'm in. There's this great welcome. And the leaders respond to this threat of their status and power with jealousy. 
And they move on and manifest their jealousy in ways that are not different now, 2,000 years later, than they were in that time and place. Jealousy and fear lead to resistance and arguments against the truth. Paul is proclaiming the truth, the word of God. And when it cuts to the heart of the people there, they respond by saying, no, no, that's not true. They recognize the truth before them. They recognize the truth in themselves, and they deny it. Not only that, instead of resorting just to arguments around well, I don't know that that's true, but the word says this here and there. Instead, they resort to name-calling. The tool of the weak mind and the weak heart. When they can't dispute Paul on facts, they turn to name-calling. Filled with jealousy, they begin to contradict what's spoken by Paul, reviling him. And then they turn to scheming. They turn to the underhandedness where they go around the issue and they sneak around and they talk to the people of influence, the women of standing who've come into the synagogue because that was trendy at the time. They speak to them and say, hey, go tell your husbands, the leaders of the city, that Paul and Barnabas are bad. They spread rumors and lies, scheming against Paul and Barnabas, scheming against the truth. Scheming against the Holy Spirit. Paul and Barnabas are driven out of town. See, we have this clash of kingdoms, this clash between expectations and reality. The expectations of the synagogue leaders that they would have the power and prestige and the reality that power and prestige belong only to God. The expectation, and I'm sure that Paul and Barnabas had them. I'm going to come. I'm going to speak the truth. People are going to accept the truth. It's going to be great. And they're driven out of town. This is a clash we've seen this entire Easter season, this clash and this distance between what we had hoped and what God has planned. We've seen that as we've journeyed between the Red Sea and Mount Sinai in our children's lessons. We saw that on the week after Easter as Peter is held before the council and he says, I have to make a choice. I have to obey God rather than please men. We saw that with Saul on the road to Damascus. His expectation of his zeal in persecuting the church comes face to face with the reality of Christ. We ask then what happens when our theology comes into contact with the living God. Last week, we saw Paul preach the gospel of the resurrection. And we asked, how do we cultivate and proclaim the way that is life while we're surrounded by a culture of death? Now this week, we come into the nitty-gritty how do we find ministry and discernment when the reality of this clash between kingdoms disrupts our very expectations? We have all of these thoughts. I'm going to proclaim the truth and people are going to hear the truth. Their lives will be changed. And they run us out of town. 
you know, I was with the bishop and the clergy um, and, and the various parishes of our archdeaconry on Wednesday night as we ordained two young men to the priesthood and four to the diaconate. Great expectations of ministry. I can guarantee that they will be disappointed. That at some point, these great expectations of what their ministry will be like will come face to face with the kingdoms of this world and with the plans that God has. What do we do when that happens? Paul goes back to what God has said to him. Maybe for the first time he truly understands what it meant when God revealed, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, and that you may bring salvation even to the ends of the earth. Not just to the Jews of the diaspora, but to all people. Not just to the twelve wells, but even to the seventy palm trees. And this is a turning point in Luke's narrative. We saw in his first volume, the Gospel of Jesus, there's a turning point as Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. And from that moment on, his ministry has changed. No longer is it a Galilean ministry. It's a journey from that place in Galilee to Jerusalem, to the cross, to the tomb, and to the resurrection. Here, we've seen in the gospel of the Holy Spirit, in this pilgrimage of the Holy Spirit, going from Jerusalem into Samaria. We've seen it move among the Jews, the people who are called by God's name. And now... Paul says it was necessary that you should hear this first. But now, since you have rejected the very words that would bring you life, since you have chosen death over life, this word will go out to all nations. And from here on, we see a difference in the narrative of Luke. We see a difference in how he describes the clash. We've seen this clash between the word of God and the people of God, between the truth of the gospel and those that held closely to tradition, this choice between what I have known and what is really true. Now, Paul will still have that same pattern of ministry going first and seeking out the synagogue, proclaiming the gospel, recognizing that he's going to be rejected and turning to the Gentiles. And we'll see in Luke's narrative that that clash will no longer be in the synagogue. It will be a clash between the truth of God and the idols of the world. The idolatry not just of Israel, but the idolatry of the nations will come into conflict with the truth of God. This requires a big vision of the kingdom. Not a small vision of my kingdom that leads to jealousy and fear, but a big vision of God's kingdom. So how do we cultivate this expanded vision of the kingdom? A kingdom that's radically different from the kingdoms we see around us. Radically different from what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine to take. Radically different from... I work hard and I deserve results. 
What we, do we do when the reality of the clash of kingdoms disrupts our expectations? I'm going to offer a practice and an observation that I hope will be helpful as we wrestle with these questions of vision and ministry in the midst of conflict. First, the way of discernment, the way of allowing God to tell us what his kingdom looks like, the way of allowing God to set our expectations. This begins as we come into prayer, naming the grace that we seek. We can come into prayer and sometimes we ask for things that are really surface level, really kind of small kingdom things. But there's something below that asking. There's a de desire beneath the desire. And if we can search into that and name before God the grace, the gift that we desire from God, then we can allow God to set our expectations. The psalmist tells us, when we delight in the Lord, he gives to us desires within our hearts. So as we delight before God, letting him set our expectations, we can hear as Paul did, I've made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So how do we name these desires? This may be a little bit foreign, these graces that we seek. There's some easy starting places of scripture that says, this is what you should desire when you come into contact with the Holy Spirit. We can desire the sevenfold gifting of the Spirit that Isaiah describes in the 11th chapter of Isaiah, the gifts of wisdom and understanding, godly counsel and holy strength, knowledge, the awe and wonder at the presence of God, and the delight of true worship. We can desire the fruits of the Spirit that Paul names for us as he writes back to this very church in Antioch of Pisidia. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these are graces that we may name before God as we dig deeply into our hearts. What do I desire? I desire from you, O Lord, these graces. Those are long lists. If you're like me and need short lists, Paul, it's really hard to talk about Paul and say he simplifies it. But Paul gives us a really short list. These three are important. Faith, hope, and love. So as we come before God, naming our desire, perhaps we simply name, Lord, give me the grace to love. Give me the grace to hope. Give me the grace to trust in you. And even if we aren't able to truly desire those, sometimes we even pray for the grace to desire what we know we should. Lord, give me the grace to want to love this person that is just annoying me. Give me the grace to want to follow you. 
so we can cultivate this practice of naming the grace. But I also want to give you an observation about the nature of ministry. This is a part that's really kind of hard to read in Acts. Julie, I noticed that it, it just has this disconnect that it's really hard to say, wow, did I miss something? Paul and Barnabas were driven out of the district. They shook the dust from their feet against them, went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul and Barnabas are driven out and in very Lucan fashion, Luke says, and the disciples, those that were there, were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. I think this covers the way of evangelism. And if, if we're honest about it, all ministry is evangelism. All ministry proclaims and manifests the good news, the evangel, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Amen. All ministry is evangelism. And sometimes it's this bold proclamation of truth. This coming before and saying, even as Jethro did, this thing you're doing is not right. This thing you are doing will lead to death. Come, this is the way of life. Come, recognize what is going on all about you. This is life. This is Christ among you. This is the Holy Spirit at work bringing truth, bringing life, bringing peace, bringing love. Sometimes ministry is that bold proclamation. More often, it's not the glory of Paul and Barnabas, those whose names are recorded for all history, those who are called and sent to go out and proclaim. But it's those who live everyday lives in joy and the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is ministry. When those around you see your joy, see your love, see your hope, they come into contact with the kingdom of God. Friends, whether we see it or not, no one comes into contact with the kingdom of God and remains unchanged. Their hearts are softened or their hearts are hardened. But they don't come into contact with the kingdom of God and remain unchanged. So, whether you're called to proclamation or called to the simple manifestation of the kingdom of God in your household, in your workplace, in your daily life. All ministry reveals the truth of the good news of the kingdom of God. So today, as we come to this table, this place of encounter, this very special place where we come before God and we hear God say, this is my body, it's given for you. I love you so much. I give myself. What grace do you wish to receive? What grace would you ask for God to give you in this place of encounter? And as you go into the world, as we depart from this gathering, as we depart from this place, how is God calling you to proclaim and manifest 
the glory and the wonder and the power, the good news that is the kingdom of God. Friends, I pray that we find grace and that we live lives of ministry. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.